The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My name's Jarrett. When I was about 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my personal savior. But as time went on, I felt like I sort of got pulled away. Eventually went off to college, very rarely uh, attended church, but still continued to pray. You know, I would come to God for things that I wanted or I needed. I'd still thank Him for those things too, but I spent less time just allowing Him to be a part of my life. A month into my last semester, got a call from my reserve center and they told me that I was being mobilized. The day before I left, my neighbor gave me the New Testament Bible. He had carried it with him his whole time that he served. From that day forward, I spent pretty much every day reading His Word. And once I got there, I, I did that every day for, I'd say probably six or seven months. And I steadily started thinking that I had everything under control. And so when I got back from, from Iraq, I uh, finished up school and my girlfriend who eventually became my spouse, her and I didn't see eye to eye on our faith. She turned away and was completely uninterested in being involved with with God. And so I allowed that to pull me away as well. And then I found out about the affair, and it turns out it wasn't the first time. Honestly, up until that point, I really felt like I was in control of my life. Ex-wife filed for divorce, and we started going through that process. A large part of my identity was in my, my wife at that time. What I thought was my identity had been completely stripped from me. I was completely broken. What do you do when you are broke or broken beyond repair? When life just gets shattered and things fall terribly apart. For me personally, uh, a few years ago, um, I started having some pain in my stomach to the point where um, I literally just stopped eating altogether. I actually couldn't even drink water anymore. And by that, at that point, I started realizing something is seriously wrong. And so then I finally went to the doctor uh, on uh, someone in our church's recommendation uh, where, where they realized that my appendix had been ruptured for 10 days. Uh, and then the, the wor- that wasn't really the worst part of it. I mean, that sounds bad enough, but the worst part was after surgery, laying in the room, uh, staring at the wall, feeling like this was my new normal. And it was a horrible feeling. I, I know some of you can relate to this, where you feel like life is so broke and you feel so broken that this has become your new normal. It's beyond repair. It's beyond recovery. Like I, and I had this deep, sick feeling, even though I was recovering, that I am never going to get well enough. This is the way my life is going to be. I literally thought that I was going to lay in a hospital bed the rest of my life. And I, I began to sink deeply into an emotional darkness. And so I wrestle with that question, what do you do when you feel broke and broken beyond repair? And I think for many of us, you've probably had this feeling where, you know, something goes wrong and you just kind of want to be able to run home to mommy and you look her in the eye and she looks at you, she lifts up your head and she's like, sweetheart, everything is going to be okay. And, and I know that many of you right now, what you, what you really wish you could hear is me telling you, hey, everything's going to be Okay, 
don't mind them. They're just going to sit down and have a meal. Um, everything's going to be okay. Or what you wish is that you could run home to a strong dad who is just going to fix everything. Or mom who's going to hug you rather than scold you. But, you know, like the things you're walking through, like mommy's hug's not going to fix it and daddy's strong arm isn't going to make everything okay. Like there are some life situations that are... Uh, beyond repair, they're irreparable, and you feel that darkness, you feel that brokenness, you feel the pain of the situation, and, and so some of you, maybe even right now, you're sitting in a situation where you can just feel like my dreams are shattered beyond repair. Some of you, your physical body is broken beyond repair. Some of you, it's your emotions or your thinking. Maybe it's a relationship broken beyond repair, and there's no Band-Aid. There's no quick fix. Even surgery itself isn't going to make it better and make everything go away, and in those in those moments, in those seasons, or when you feel this, uh, if you're like me, you feel alone even if the hospital room is filled because no one can reach into that place and meet you there. No one can relate to what you're going through and, and you can feel like you've been used and then discarded. Like people get out of you what they want from you and then they kick you to the curb and no one, like, you know, I, I wouldn't say that to my family, but I had, the, I had my own feeling, this sense of identity that I am useless and people are just going to kick me out of their life. And um, King David seemed to surround himself with people like that. So here, here's a guy who, you know, he grew up as a shepherd, became a, a renowned warrior and is on his way. So I'm in this moment where I'm going to bring you to, he's on his way to becoming the king of the nation of Israel. So he, uh, a prophet came and anointed him the king. This is around 1000 a, uh, a BC. And so as he's, uh, you know, dreaming of and thinking of becoming king, the current king feels a little threatened, as you could reasonably understand, and begins to hunt David to kill him. And so David retreats up into the mountains where he begins to be surrounded by people like you and me, people who are incredibly broke and broken. And so I'm going to jump in. I want to read to you this story. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 22, where uh, people are coming from the different cities of the nation of Israel looking for David to join him. Now, why, would, why you would want to join a guy who is being hunted and haunted by, enemy, by, by, the, by an enemy, by the current king, is beyond me. But let's just jump into 1 Samuel chapter 22, which is, you know, a book about the history of this season, the nation of Israel. And it reads this way, David left Gath and escaped to the cave. He escaped from King Saul, who happened to also be his father-in-law. So if what makes you feel broke and broken is uh, your, your in-laws, David could totally relate to you. His father, the, his father-in-law, the king, is actually trying to kill him. So you don't have it nearly that bad. Um, so David left Gath and escaped from his father-in-law, King Saul, to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And then this is the part where the story becomes really kind of uh, odd. You're like, wow, all of those, meaning all of these people in the nation of Israel were in distress or in debt, or discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. 
about 400 men were with him. Nice army, like good friends. Like this is David's friends, a whole bunch of people who are in distress, in debt and discontented. These are the people I avoid at the party. Like these, these are people we steer clear of and these are the only ones that are coming to David. They're, they're in distress, they're in deep debt, I mean, they've got nothing to offer and, uh, and they're discontented, they're, like, they're disgruntled. Like what, what, what a good army, what a good group of friends. I mean, this is how you become the king of a nation. You surround yourself with a bunch of guys like that. And in this context, David hiding in the cave of Adullam being hunted, either in this moment or a moment like it, because David had a lot of moments where people were hunting him, whether it was his father-in-law or another nation, and David would, would retreat up to the cave of Adullam. We know in one of those contexts, he wrote what has become the most popular poem in all of history, and it was written as a song. And it's collected into a book of songs called Psalms. And in Psalm 23, it reads this way. Here's David hiding in a cave for his life, and he writes this psalm, which opens, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then toward the end of the poem, song, it reads this way. You prepare a table before me. Now you can all go, oh, I see where this whole thing is going. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so what David is saying is, when, when everyone else surrounds us, when, when, a lot of, when a lot of difficult situations, when even our enemies surround us, David said, I have become acutely aware that my God is surrounding my enemies and he is surrounding me. When others are looking for me, my God is looking out for me. And there is a principle that jumps 3,000 years ahead in history to this moment that you and I can relate to. When you feel broke and broken, you can relate to what David wrote and meant in Psalm 23. And the principle is this, it's that our weakness reveals God's greatness. I hope that you can make a note of that. And if you don't make a physical note of it, at least make a mental note of it. But I'd encourage you to pull out a smartphone or a tablet and type this in. You can even put this one in, in all caps. That's why I did it that way. Our weakness reveals God's greatness. And, you know, probably when we are most desperate, when we are most broken, when we are most broke, we become most aware of our need for God. But nobody wants to be broke or broken. Or broken. You know, like if I said to you, like, you know, who wants to sign up for that? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Not even at our campuses. I mean, you're not going to volunteer for that. Who, who wants to go, like, oh, yeah, I want to be broke or broken so I can become more aware of God. No, we do our best to avoid being broke and broken. We look out for ourselves. We provide for ourselves. We protect ourselves. And even if we can't, we do a good job masking it. We band-aid over it. I, I didn't know my appendix had ruptured. But I will say, I was kind of sucking it up. I grew, I grew up in a kind of an environment that's what you did. You just kind of sucked up the pain. I mean, move on with life. And so I thought I was just being a big boy. 
having no idea that poison was pumping through my body. And that's exactly what's going on in our life, right? When we're looking out for ourselves, we think that we have to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and I have to take care of myself. We are unaware that there is a part of us that we absolutely can't take care of. And that is that every one of us are not just surrounded by enemies. It's that we are broke and broken on the inside. There's this spiritual brokenness, like going, going septic on the inside. There's a poison inside of every one of us called sin. It's this spiritual brokenness, and it infects us and affects us from the inside out. And, and it starts, and you have no idea it's happening, but then it begins to affect everything about your life. It affects the way you look. It affects your appetite. It affects the way you interact with people. I, I didn't, wasn't recognizing it, but as I, as I was getting sicker, I became more irritable. In fact, uh, I, I was, uh, I would say even maybe getting a little bit uh, unhealthy to the point where like, even the way I drove, I actually bumped my wife's car into a curb and she didn't even get it fixed because she's just like, we need to be reminded of that moment regularly. And so to this day, my wife has a little bump on the, her car uh, from, because when I was sick, I, I even spatially, I wasn't quite healthy enough to drive the way I should have been driving a bump, right? And so here's what happens. When we have sin poison running in us, inside of us, it's, it's breaking us from the inside out, ruining every aspect of our life. And, and the end of sin is that it drives us away from God toward our own corruption, toward our own death, but not just physical death, eternal judgment. But God intervenes in our story. God diagnoses the poison inside of us and he intervenes in our story. How? This is how Jesus described it. He says it like this. It's captured in, uh, by the author John in his, good, in, a, in his account of the life and teachings of Jesus called the Gospels. In God, the Gospel of John chapter 10, he captures them where Jesus is teaching. And Jesus says this, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. The thief... The enemy of your life comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying this a thousand years after David wrote Psalm 23. He said, he prepares a table before me. And then Jesus says, I am the gate. Meaning when the sheep are coming back into the pen... They pass through the gate where the shepherd is there and the shepherd is counting the sheep. He's caring for the sheep. He even anoints each sheep with oil. Anytime he finds a wound or an injury, he's putting ointment on them to make sure they are healthy. He's, and then he provides protection over the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I, per, I am your protector. I am your provider. And I am your healing. What Jesus says is, he says, I am the table. It's not just that I prepare a table before you. It's not just that I present a meal to you. Jesus said, I am the meal. 
I'm not just your provider, I am the provision. I'm not just your protector, I am your protection. I'm not just your healer, I am the healing ointment. What, what do I mean? Let, let, me, let me make this make sense. So when Jesus Christ came to earth, God comes in human form. He came to die, his death, the payment for our sin judgment. His death, the healing for the poison of sin inside of us. His death, the price for our wellness and wholeness. So when Jesus died, he died on our behalf, the death that we deserved because of the sin poison pumping through our life and our body, through our decisions and our desires. So when Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin and is cleansed of that guilt and that shame. But Jesus not only died, he rose again from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over the grave, victorious over eternal judgment, so that through faith in Jesus, we are not only forgiven, but we are given new life. And so when, when we think about Jesus and his death, we realize that he is the table prepared for us. He is the meal. That's why Right before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his closest friends and they went to an upper room and they sat down and they had a meal together. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this is my blood spilled out for you. So as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, remember me because I am the table. I am the meal. I am the one that not only meets your needs, but I am your satisfaction. And when you know Jesus, it transforms your story. It certainly transformed Jarrett's story. And so we want to invite him to share a little bit more of how that changed his story. Check this out. The walls of the security that I had for the last 20 years or 30 years of my life were just crumbling down. And one night I was just in that deepest valley of my life. That was the day that I finally knew that I needed him. It felt like somebody lifted a ton of bricks off my back. He took that burden for me. And everything that I had been so afraid of, we had overcome it together. A friend of mine, a coworker, recommended Lifehouse to me. At the end of the first service, there was an announcement about talking to some folks on the prayer team. I felt the nudge from God, but I pushed back. I'm very stubborn. I finally decided that it wasn't about what my plan was. It was about what God's plan was for me. So I went up and I talked to this person and I could not keep my composure. And he had never been married, he had never been divorced, but he knew what God's word said. Felt like God had made prayer such a big part of my life. So I started serving on the prayer team. And I think that it had as much of a benefit or maybe even more of a benefit for me than it did for each of those individuals that I prayed with or prayed for. I was also in a hiking group September of 2018, I went to go to the hike. I was about an hour early. I went into town and looked for a place to get some coffee. But while I was there, I decided to walk around the little shop. I saw the sticker on the, on the door and I wasn't really sure why I was drawn to it. 
But I went over and looked at it, and it was what I would call a veterans care group. God had been putting it on my heart to start a life group. I really felt like Chambersburg was a place that could really use a veterans life group. So that night, I decided I was gonna do this. And I kept asking him again, because I'm stubborn, is this what you want for me? Is this what you want? And he never said no. So today, I am the prayer team lead at the Chambersburg campus, organizer for the service members life group, and I'm a child of God. There's really no better feeling than being completely known and loved. There's no better place to be than to be in His presence. So appreciate each of the individuals that have been so vulnerable with us about their own journey. Appreciate Jared being vulnerable about his journey and his brokenness. But the, the healing that he found, not just through faith in Jesus, but discovering that Jesus prepared a table before him, that Jesus is the table, Jesus is the meal. And so I just wanna bring you back into this Psalm where David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my cup, overflows. Now, of course, David is writing this and he's thinking ahead to a time when God would come and he would right the wrongs. He would heal the brokenness. When God would become a human and God would rescue us from the curse of sin. So David was believing that for himself, but he was also recognizing that this would be a future event and Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise. So what does that mean for our lives when we realize that our weakness reveals God's greatness? Our hunger reveals the fact that God is our provision. Our suffering reveals that God is our healing and our hope. Well, he, here it is, right? It's this idea that our lack reveals God's abundance. You never know the abundance of God until you're in need. You never know how rich God is toward us until you're not able to take care of yourself. And so just make a note of that. Our lack reveals God's abundance. And so talking about this idea of the table being prepared for us, in this moment, David actually shifts. It's more than likely that he shifted his metaphor. So he starts out saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And then several of the verses are all about the way a shepherd cares for his sheep. And some scholars think that the table being prepared was like a grassy plateau where the sheep could go and they could graze and, and maybe uh, and, you know, other animals, predators could see them but not get to them. And that's possible. But it's probably more likely that David has just shifted his metaphor and he's talking about a very wealthy host and his guests. And David says, God has been for me a generous host. And I am his guest. And so in, in Jewish culture and in Middle Eastern culture, the concepts of hospitality and honor are extraordinarily valuable and important. Meaning they have a, a shame honor culture where we don't really quite think that way. So that's why you would never shame your family. You want to bring honor to your family. And so here's, David is using this metaphor and he's saying, when you get invited by the host into their home, one, they bring you a feast. They spread out a feast before you. And by being invited, what the host is saying is, I am accepting you and I'm willing to associate with you. When God invites you to his table, Jesus 
is the table. He's saying, I am willing to accept you into my family and I am associating with you. I am your protection because you're coming in under my roof. And it doesn't matter what enemy saw you come through my door. They can't get to you because I am for you. God is looking at you and God says, I have prepared a table before you. You have a reserved seat at my feast. And it doesn't matter who's hunting you. It doesn't matter what's haunting you. They can't get to you because you're a guest in my home and I am your protection and I am your provision. I am looking out for you. And so long as you trust me, your lack creates space for my abundance. In essence, the feast overflows in your life as you put your trust in the God who is your protector and your provider. And so it simply comes down to our trust in God. God, I am willing to come in under the roof of your protection. I'm willing to walk through the gate of the shepherd who invites me into his pen where I come into his care. I come under his protection. I come into his provision. God wants to prepare a table before you. And now check this out. God himself wants to serve you. God himself presents a feast before you. And the only thing you do is sit and enjoy the gracious abundance of God who is looking out for you. God who is providing you. God who has come to serve you. God. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love this picture. Whatever enemy is surrounding you, whatever thing is hunting you, doesn't stand a chance against you because you've come under the protection and the provision of God himself. And God looks out for those that have come to his table. And then there's another piece to this, Psalm 23, verse 5, where he says this, you anoint my head with oil, so he shifts back to the metaphor of the shepherd and his sheep, my cup overflows. And the principle here is this. Um, when we're talking about our, la- our weakness reveals God's greatness, what he's saying is our brokenness reveals God's wholeness. He says, not only does our lack reveal God's abundance because he is the table. He prepares the meal for us and he serves us. We are safe in the protection, the provision of God. But he's also saying, when you feel broken, I am your healing. I am your wholeness. Now, be careful here. Because what what we can often think is that what I need from God is for him to fix what's wrong for him to just pay the bills, for him to put things back together. And we are looking for a temporary fix, an immediate cure for the things that ail us. And so we tend to have an overly simplified view of well-being. I need to lose some weight. I need to, you know, I need to eat better. I need to go to the doctor to get some medicine. So here's how we do it, right? If, if my brokenness is physical, then I need to go to the doctor for, for, you know, for treatment, or I need to have surgery for a repair, 
If my, if my brokenness is in my mind, then I need to see a counselor or I need mind-altering medication. If my brokenness is in my emotions, then I need a, you know, I need a psychiatrist or I need some type of drug therapy or I need counseling. And so we have these little cures for the little things that ail us. And now some of you, it's a big thing, right? I, I get that. But what we do is we overly simplify the problem when in fact, there is a spiritual poison running through us. So God did not come to give us a quick repair. He did not come to help us recover what was lost. He came to restore us to a place we have never been before. Did you, you catch what I just said? To restore us to a place we've never been before. I mean, to bring us back to a place where we could be so whole, a wholeness that we've actually never experienced in the moment we were born because we were born into sin. We were born with poison in our spirit. So he wants to restore us to a place before sin corrupted us. That's what it means for our brokenness to reveal God's wholeness. So Jesus doesn't just suffer physically. He suffers mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He's rejected by God so we could be accepted by God. His body is beaten so our bodies could be made whole. He is torn and rejected and betrayed and crucified so that all of the brokenness Jesus experienced could create wholeness for us. Jesus did not go through all of that so you could get a quick fix cure. Jesus is both the physician and the cure. Jesus is what I need and all that I need. He is the wholeness. And when I believe in Jesus by faith, his wholeness enters into me and begins to transform me from the inside out so that I begin to experience a well-being because I am eating from the table of the life of Jesus. When you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into your spirit. His spirit is invisible and eternal and he enters into your spirit which is eternal and invisible, and he gives you a wholeness that is otherworldly. Not just making your body whole, not just bringing wholeness to your thinking or to your emotions. In fact, those things might continue to stay broken, but the wholeness God brings is from the spirit out. He begins to transform us from the inside out, healing us from the poison that has infected us spiritually. And when you experience that wholeness. That means he brings forgiveness where there was previously shame. And that forgiveness can spill into relationships. It means where I used to carry guilt, he lavishes grace. So now I don't give guilt, I give grace. It means he offers hope where I have walked in despair. He offers promise where I have walked in pain and discouragement and purposelessness. That's what it means to walk in wholeness, where I am freed from the things that have controlled me. I am freed from the fears that have bound me. I am freed from the chains that have held me down because my God prepared a table before me when I was surrounded by my enemies. He anoints me with oil the way a shepherd anoints his sheep with healing and care. And the cup of his blessing, the cup of his favor, the cup of his healing, of his wholeness is overwhelming. It's overflowing in my life. And the only thing we can do 
is take it and eat. And so I'm going to challenge you right now. Where are you at? What do you need most in this moment? I promise you that God is preparing a, a table for you right now. That table is Jesus himself. He is not only provider, but he is the provision. He is not only the healer, but he is the healing. And so I just want to give you a moment right now across each of our campuses. Would you just close your eyes right now? What do you need your faith in Jesus right now. Some of you, the first step you need to take is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Allow his spirit to enter into your spirit. Others of you believe in Jesus, but you need to, for the first time, begin to sit at the table of Jesus. Receive him as your protector, your provider, and your healer. For those of you right now that you're making a commitment to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're willing to come and sit at the table and receive all that God has offered you. Can I invite you to take a bold step? Again, at each of our campuses right now, would you, if that's you and you're ready to come and receive through faith in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and new life, would you, would you raise your hand high and say, yep, that's me. Right now, that's where I'm at. Again, would you at each of our campuses, would you raise your hand right now? Anyone, you just raise your hand. Yes, that's where I'm at. For those of you that are raising your hand, I want to take a moment. I just want to pray over you right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you saw us when we were broke and broken beyond repair, and you became not just a repair. You didn't just help us to recover. You restored us to a place we never have been before, a life without poison pumping through our body. You became the broken body and the spilled blood so that we could be whole and healed. We could be well and we could be fully restored. So God, we receive you by faith and for everyone that's making that commitment, they've raised their hand. God, I pray that you would meet them, that you'd forgive them of sin and you would give them new life in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.